Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, day two SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. We're at the Hyatt Regency. Ole Miss was here today, and so we've got a ton to get to with you this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you have land financing needs or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If you're buying a piece of property, building a dream home in the country, need an equipment loan, maybe it's refinancing an existing loan or perhaps getting a production loan if you're a farmer and you're in North Mississippi, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael Borky. What's up, guys? It's a good day. Busy day here in uh, in Hoover. How's yeah, it sounds like it over there. And what's funny is being at home watching all of this, it felt different even though I'm not there because as I was recording Matt Luke and, and following along with the players going around and doing their rounds – they didn't have to answer any questions of NCAA stuff, and we didn't have the, well, how did they answer this, or what were they really saying, or how are they going to dodge questions. None of that happened this year. It was kind of nice to actually hear them talk about football stuff for the first time in three years. Yeah. Uh, Rippy, you kind of followed the Ole Miss contingent around on their different stops. You were around them. Did, did you get that feeling that – it was different today for Ole Miss as they made their way through kind of the media gauntlet? Yeah, I guess certainly different than years past. I mean, I, it's just, it kind of feels like all the NCAA stuff and everything that happened in the five years prior is kind of finally behind them. It feels more like Luke's program because it's his coaches, his personnel, and his redshirt freshman quarterback that he brought. So it, uh, it definitely has a, a different vibe than it has in years past. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you. We've got a bunch to get to. Had a chance to visit with Alex Givens on the uh, the offensive line. Uh, we talked with Momo Sonogo, linebacker who's returning uh, this season. Had a ton of tackles a year ago. Also had um, Matt Corral, quarterback, and uh, had a chance to sit down and visit with Matt Luke as uh, as well. So a bunch to get to this afternoon. Talk with Jordan Rogers. Really interesting quarterback conversation. Uh, hey, Dad, I wish you could have been here for it. You were taking care of something else at the time, but uh, sat down and visited with Steve Shaw. <laughs> and I told him, I said, we had a, uh, a big debate uh, yesterday uh, about the officiating. I said, I'm not going to throw any of my co-hosts under the bus, but there's one that says the officials are terrible. How would you respond to that? An interesting answer. Yeah, look forward to hearing it. I, I've talked to Steve Shaw a bunch through the years, and 
to be able to, I, I don't know, this was, I felt like, the most candid and the most insightful he's ever been. Uh, kind of in talking about officiating, the state of officiating overall. Well, that, that's like the thing now, right, though? That, that's going back to yesterday is they, they, and maybe it's a positive. They've identified there's a problem, so maybe they're going to become more open about it. We're talking about there's going to be this social media feed talking about officiating. You know, what's next? Maybe we finally get to the point where we're going to have officials come out and answer uh, some, some questions in press conferences. I don't know. But it can't be a bad thing for officials to be more open and, and, and forthcoming. No, I, I certainly agree with you about that. One of the things that was fascinating to me that Steve Shaw said is he is concerned about the future of officiating. He said even going down to the high school level, the average age of, the, of a first-year high school official is like 42. And that's a problem. They need young people who have just finished playing high school football or college football jumping into the fray and using that as a way to stay connected to the game, and that's not happening. Does he go into why he thinks that is? Yeah, I mean, okay. we, we, we talked a little bit about we'll that. We'll tease that. Uh, so uh, a bunch to get to. Bill Hancock from the uh, uh, College Football Playoff Committee joined us earlier today. Uh, we talked with Cole Kubelik. Um, Matt Stenchcomb stopped by, so a bunch to get to this afternoon. Uh, I would say, though, as we kind of get started, um, big picture. What did you uh, What did you hear today, Rippy, that stood out to you uh, as whether it was Ole Miss or, or some of the other programs that have been here? Um, really, just that, like, I mean, Matt Corral as a redshirt freshman is now really kind of the face of this program, and he got peppered with different versions of the same question today about what it's like being on this stage as as a true freshman and he not dodged them but just kind of brushed it aside and said you know i i wanted it this way this is why i came here but you know he's in a room with four freshman quarterbacks i mean the three guys trying to be his backup were playing high school football last fall so you know four games of limited experience and he's the guy so i thought he handled himself pretty well um but uh, he said he had to buy a new suit. The other one was too small. Oh, yeah? Um, so that was kind of. There's a big and tall shop right there. I've been checking it out. That was kind of emblematic of the, the role he's kind of having to grow into. Ah, I hear you. A little um, symbolism? I guess so. Me- a, a metaphor for you? That was really good, Rippy. I just wrote about it. I'm about to post it right now. There you go. Georgia here today. So Kirby Smart, uh, Ole Miss with Matt Luke. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt from Tennessee and uh, Jimbo Fisher, along with the players from those two schools, are kind of going through uh, all the stops uh, this afternoon as well. Hey, Dad, what has jumped out to you today? With, with you know, Georgia and A&M being here, the, the stat going around that uh, Saban's former assistants are 0-16 against him, mm. that is an interesting statistic, and it makes you wonder, is this the year? I don't think it is with A&M. But is this the year maybe Kirby Smart can, can break that uh, that streak? You buying it? No. I just actually filled out my all-SEC and uh, prediction ballot, and I have uh, Alabama winning the conference over Georgia. Hey, a, a, a news item that popped up just a little while ago, and this is not related to anything that's happening here at SEC Media Days, but it is something that's happening in the state of Mississippi. News out of Starkville. Um, that Mississippi State has parted ways with its head softball coach, Van Studeman. Certainly the timing on this is interesting. You're not making a change, it doesn't seem like, based on on on-the-field results in mid-July. Yeah, you know, and I think we're all sort of jaded about by, you know, unusual timing on coaching changes at Mississippi State from a few years back. Uh, 
like you said, wins and losses, you know, you think that if that was the case, they would have made the move right after the season. Instead, they're making it here in, in mid-July. Uh, Van had been successful at Mississippi State. It kept that, made it a, a you know, a, a pr- pretty much permanent fixture in the NCAA tournament. But in the SEC and softball, if you follow that, I would say softball is, is a tougher sport to win in than football or baseball in the SEC. All 13 teams that play softball make the NCAA tournament. For each of the last two seasons, two seasons, I think? State was 12th in the SEC, but they were the top 35 RPI team in the country. So, and when you, in this state, you know, sometimes you're going to compare results with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has been in Super Regionals in softball two of the last three years. They obviously felt like you know, maybe some underachieving was happening, so I'm sure that played into it. Is there anything else? I don't know that at this time. I'm sure we'll get a statement from Mississippi State sooner rather than later. Uh, but, yeah, Van Studeman, after I think that's a, this is our seventh year, uh, out in Starkville. Interesting time to be uh, looking for a new coach. We'll see what direction that goes at, uh, at Mississippi State. We'll keep you up to date with, uh, with certainly that story. Mississippi State will be here tomorrow. Joe Moorhead. And remind me of the three players from Mississippi Errol State. Errol Thompson, Daryl Williams, and Farad Green. Okay. Uh, not getting a quarterback. There's been a lot of talk today uh, about Tommy Stevens. That will be a bigger topic of conversation tomorrow. And you know that Joe Moorhead's going to get a bunch of questions about that. That's one of the things that Cole Kubelik and I talked about, and, and you'll hear a little bit later this afternoon. Cole is not as convinced, and we've talked with him on the air before about the fact that Tommy Stevens is going to be the starter, and I'm kind of like you in that I think that is going to be the case, and it's the reason that you bring in a grad transfer because the idea of bringing a grad transfer in and possibly upsetting the chemistry of your team just for the heck of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And when you'll hear more in the interview, but he made the comment about sometimes grad transfers are happening to become backups at better programs. But as you said in the interview, he left Penn State to come to Mississippi State. I don't see that as a situation where he's like, yeah, I just want to be in a little bit better program. You know, it, it, why would you do that? So, yes, I, I stand by that prediction. Tommy Stevens will be the starting quarterback for Mississippi State. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired coming up in uh, just a few minutes we're going to let you hear a conversation from earlier today with matt luke head football coach at Ole miss who was uh, here had a chance to visit with him right before he kind of began his trip through the entire uh, media circuit Um, and then our conversation that you'll hear later on with matt corral happened right after he had finished going through the entire media circuit so all of that is uh, coming your way this afternoon matt luke will join us Uh, from a recorded conversation earlier today. When we come back, then we'll react to uh, some of what he had to say. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Welcome back into Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Day two of SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. It was Ole Miss Day. Earlier today, Matt Luke and uh, the three players, Alex Givens, Momo Sonogo, and Matt Corral, made their rounds in Hoover. And earlier today, Richard Cross was able to catch up with Matt Luke for a one-on-one, and here is that conversation. Sports Talk Mississippi, day two of SEC Media Days. Ole Miss is here today. Matt Luke, head coach of the Rebels, joins us right now. And uh, So two years ago, you weren't even here, and then you coached a team. <laughs> Last year you were here, but uh, it was different. 
going into year three, how, how is today different than uh, the last couple of seasons? Uh, you know, I, I think I think it's normal. I think uh, you know I'm just just excited about coming up here and, and selling Ole Miss and representing Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of positive things that happened this off season. I thought we had a busy and productive off season. I think. I'm going to talk about um, you know being able to sign 31 players and getting back to 85 scholarships. I think that's I think that's huge. I think I really like what we've done with our staff, uh, with the additions of Mike and Rich. I think uh, I think that kind of made a statement nationally about our commitment to winning. And then obviously kind of the uh, the big thing is having the opportunity to go back to the postseason. Uh, you know, first time in, in three years we have the opportunity to uh, go compete and go back to the postseason. I think our fans are excited about that. Our, you know, there's just a there's a feeling of normalcy and energy in the building. You know, partly because of all the change and all the new energy and the youth. But uh, but obviously uh, having an opportunity to go go back to postseason is huge. Do you realize there was a point last year where you were below the scholarship limit of what's available for an FCS team? <laughs> well, well, you know. I mentioned that earlier. I think when you're right in the middle of it, you're not looking to make any excuses. You're just trying to find ways to win football games. Yeah, but. <laughs> but I do think uh, even though that these um, these players um, will be young, it'll be fun to have a full allotment and to have guys out there competing. And uh, and I think um, I think we'll be young, but I think uh, I think we're talented. I think we've recruited well, and we got a bunch of young, talented players. I mean, there'll be a few bumps in the road with uh, playing with young guys, but uh, but excited to see them compete. When you get a, uh, a freshman in, whether it's a true freshman or a guy in his second year, you, you expect them to get better in their sophomore season, and you want to see progression in their junior season. Is that same expectation there for a uh, for a head coach in his first job, his first year to his second year to his next year, and then moving forward? Absolutely. There's no better teacher than experience, you know. And you, I think you go through different things, and you know what you want to do is the things that you did well. You want to find out why you did those things well, uh, you know. And I think of the things that you do bad. I think you got to find out why you did them bad. I think uh, having honest evaluations and, and and looking at yourself as a head coach is, is probably the most important thing. But I, I really I really do like what we've done with our staff I like the direction we're headed uh, on both sides of the ball so just I do think uh, that experience is the best teacher and I think you learn from it so what have you done best and then what's the area where you want to be better you know I, I think um, the the ability to go out and make uh, and make hires uh, regardless of what people, oh, you, you hire two former head coaches. Why did you do that? Well, you go out and you hire the best possible people, and that's what we're able to do. My job is to help Ole Miss get back to the postseason and, and start competing again for championships, and I think um, I think we're able to do that. The things I want to do better is just continue to manage my time better. You, you, you learn how much time you have to spend with media, with recruiting on the offensive side, on the defensive side. So I think continue to be efficient with my time. I think that, those are things I can keep improving on. The, the Hiring guys thing is fascinating to me, not because you went out and hired two former head coaches, but because you were able to go out and hire two good football coaches when you haven't been a head coach all that long. So, I mean, most head coaches have to hire somebody in an offseason. Sometimes right. it's multiple guys. Yep. So, so how do you approach that process? Well, I, I think... Uh uh, I mean, it's not, it's not too complicated. You go out and find the best people that you can. And, uh, you know, obviously Mike was a little bit easier because we had worked together before. Um, but uh, when 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 the name Rishrod uh, came across my desk, I kind of uh, – and you know what, uh, you know, his history was, his ability to be a coordinator at Tulane and, and Clemson before he was a head coach. And, and I uh, just was very, very impressed. Maybe not, not so much with um, – 
with with the system. I was impressed with the system, but his attitude and the toughness and and uh, his offense is producing 17 straight thousand yard rushers and just the the toughness and the edge that he coaches with. I think uh, is unique, and I think that's what we needed with a young offensive football team. You mentioned a thousand yard rusher. If he doesn't get banged up, Scotty Phillips probably is that a, a year ago. So he was he was really close. What do you expect from him? in the second year I started to say in this offense but it's an entirely new offense for him (laughs) yeah you know what I think last year I was here I used the term cautiously optimistic because he looked so good in the spring Uh, and and I think people saw that just the the balance and and the speed to take at the distance and and the ability to run through run through tackles but I think he'll be uh, he'll be one year better you know we talked about experience being the best teacher a few minutes ago I think it'll be the same for him you get to experience a little bit of what Mike Bianco experiences sometimes, and that's having to wait out the Major League Baseball draft to see where somebody's going to go. Uh, Jerry and Ely, all signs point to him being on campus, being part of this football team. Does he factor into the running back situation this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the unique thing about uh, Jerry is he's got uh, – he can do so many different things. I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can line up in the slot. He can run speed sweeps. He may be able to return kicks. I mean, just trying to find a way to get the ball in his hands, I think, will be unique. You never really want to count on a freshman because you never really know. But uh, just from what I've seen so far, he's a dy- dynamic player, and I think he's ones that uh, everybody in our building and all our fans are excited about. You lost some dudes on the offensive line, and, and now it's a, a different look group. You've got some guys that have played, mm-hmm. Givens, Ben Brown, and, yep. and, and, and some others, but also also some new faces that are going to be expected to play and contribute and may right. kind of factor into how good this team is. Yeah, I mean, we've we got some guys that have been around. You know, I, I think Royce Newman is a very, very talented offensive lineman. I think uh, Bryce Matthews is very, very solid. I think Eli Johnson is a fighter. Uh, we got seven new freshmen coming in. That would mean some of those guys are going to have to play some, and uh, it's going to be a uh, – it'll be interesting. But, uh, you know, we've played with freshmen before. I think in uh, 2015, went to Tuscaloosa, you know, Sean and Javon and J- Jordan, they were all freshmen. Uh, so it happens. You have to start somewhere, and these guys are going to have to go in there and get their feet wet, and uh, if not play meaningful snaps, but at least provide depth. You bring a freshman quarterback to SEC Media Days. Uh, that says to me that you've got to trust him. So take me a step farther beyond trusting him in front of cameras. What do you trust him most about in this offense? Well, I, you know, I think the the biggest thing for me is uh, is his competitive nature and the way that people gravitate toward him. He is uh, he has a natural he's a natural leader. Not so much about what he says, but almost how he carries himself with that uh, competitive demeanor. Just as a player, uh, you know what it's like to have a guy like that. People gravitate to him. The, the offensive linemen do, the receivers do, and so I just thought it was an obvious choice. Um, but you know, and in a little bit, he's been thrust into that role. But uh, you know, it's uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Is he maybe the biggest beneficiary that you've got in the SEC of the four games getting to play? I mean, yes, he's a, I guess, basically a true freshman, redshirt freshman coming in, but he's played. Yeah, well, I think we may be the only team in the country with four freshman quarterbacks, but but I do think that four game rule uh, really helped him. I do. I think we were really, uh, I think, smart last year with the way we used it, trying not to just stick him in there to, for a handoff, but try to get him in there and get some meaningful snaps in the games that we could. And I think uh, I think you saw that pay dividends this spring. Who's your backup quarterback? Uh, I'll let you know at the first game. <laughs> it's going to be a – no, it'll be a battle. I, you know, I thought uh, Grant and Kincaid both um, improved in the uh, – in spring, but now you have John Rice Plumley thrown into the mix. 
he just got here, you know, this summer, and he's, you know, he's pushing, he's competing, he's a really good athlete, and I think in, in Rich Rod's offense is a good fit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Final thing for you, Memphis on the road in week one, Arkansas at home in week two. I, I'm kind of hard pressed to think of a more important start to a season I mean are you looking at it that way yeah it is. I mean don't give me the one game no, at a time no, thing. it's those two together yeah, well, that matter well it, it is but I do think that you have to focus on, on the first game first you know first things first and we are focused on Memphis that's a huge game they got a really good football team coach Norvell's done a great job and uh, you know I think uh, it'll be important for you us you laughed but then you went right back into coach speak <laughs> come on but it, it's true I think if you start looking too far down the road especially with a young football team we got to focus Focus on what's in front of us, and we can't start looking ahead to the second game. We gotta, we gotta try to find a way to go win that first one, and I think that makes each game bigger. You go win that first one at Memphis, I think Baltimore Stadium is going to be packed, and so I think that first one becomes very, very important. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Hotty Toddy. That was just a little bit earlier today, live at SEC Media Days. Matt Luke uh, gave Richard Cross a one-on-one, and of course, we thank Matt for that. Coming up later on in the show, we will have interviews with all three players, Matt Corral, Alex Givens, and Momo Sonogo. And if you're a Mississippi State fan listening, tomorrow we will give you the exact same thing. We'll sit down with Joe Moorhead and all three Mississippi State players. That's tomorrow when they make their rounds in Hoover at SEC Media Days. We've got more Matt Luke audio coming up next, so we're going to get Rippy and Haydad's take on uh, some things that Matt Luke said in the press conference today, specifically referencing their new look defense, moving over to the 3-4. Rich Rodriguez bringing a swagger to the Ole Miss offense and more. So that's up next at Sports Talk Mississippi, live at SEC Media Days in Hoover in the Renaissance Bank studio. If only things that are said during commercial breaks would go out over the air. No need for that. So the two of you got a an early start this morning, huh? That that would be a way to put it. Yeah. Rippy's start was earlier than mine. Yeah, I had to. I was up at like seven. Oh, I see, remember, I was talking about really, you know, just that, after midnight when you guys were up late, working. That's really hard. Late finish. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about it. You know, we just went out. We, we went to a museum. Um, Wait, really? We saw, we saw a symphony orchestra. Um, you know, we helped. Uh, we, we went down to the homeless shelter and fed some people. It was great. That's what we did with our free time. Okay, so what really happened? Went out and had some beer, shot some pool. Yeah. Hey, Dad got his head stuck in a pool table. I had to pull him out. <laughs> it was the craziest <laughs> thing. How did that happen? It didn't happen. It didn't really happen. But there was. How could you get that your head sounds, stuck that in a pool That sounds more table? plausible than. Think about how small the holes are. And think about my giant dome. I promise if that had happened, though, it would have been my fault. Yeah, it would have. Tell no. me about the pickle juice. R- Rippy may have drank pickle juice last night. We're not. We're not. Well, it's, it's good for no, hydration. I, there was no may have. I watched him. He. Uh, You're sure it was pickle juice, the, though? We don't know. It was just an unmarked jar. I made friends with the bartender, which he. I guess took that as like permission to basically just mess with me for the next hour. Yeah. And so he refused to serve me until I drank a little like cup of his pickle juice. So mm. wait, a cup of his pickle done. juice. Yeah, he whipped it out of some weird fridge on the side. Yeah. It, it was like here you go. Drink I saw this. it happening and I was just like, no, don't do this. You sure it was an absinthe or something? 
Um, no, it was not. I have no idea, to be completely honest. It wasn't it was in a pickle jar. It, it wasn't in a bottle. It was in a, like a, a, a makeshift jar. Not even a jar. Jars aren't the right. It was plastic. It was like a that plastic sounds container. so sketchy. It, yeah, that I is go, a good word. If yeah. I go missing in the next yeah. little bit, yeah. you'll have an hypothesis. A <laughs> hypothesis, excuse me. So. Well, uh, glad you guys had a good time last night at Sports Talk Mississippi, uh, live in Hoover at SEC Media Days, and it's Ole Miss Day. And Matt Luke made his rounds earlier today, and he said a couple things in the press conference that I want to get these guys' uh, reaction to. First, uh, this is the first year, and you'll hear Matt Luke say it, in a long time that Ole Miss is going to be able to play with 85 players. Here's what Matt Luke had to say about that. We're able to sign 31 guys in last year's class. That's a, that's a huge class. But uh, it was a top 25 class, and most importantly, it gets us back to that full number of 85 for the first time since 2014. You guys all know that depth is a huge, huge part of being in this league. And I'm, even though the faces are going to be new and young, I'm excited to see those guys compete. And, Rippy, this morning I saw that you mentioned to him that there was a couple games last year they played with 60 scholarship players uh, in the 2018 season. Yeah, it was. I think it was Auburn and South Carolina. I remember after the, the Arkansas game in Little Rock that they were really particularly banged up. And it was really the first time I've ever looked down at, like, the sideline and been like, yeah, they, like the two sidelines do not look the same. Um and so, like, people don't necessarily like, – again, he didn't, to their credit, he didn't talk about it a lot last year. And, like, obviously they don't really – he's not really in the business of making excuses. But, man, that makes a difference when you're going to war with 20 less guys on scholarship than, you know, the team on the other side. And so it's tough. So I think he really is – he's mentioned that a lot. I think they're really relieved to kind of get back to the 85 and build some depth. Um, really, other than that, the one, another thing that stuck out to me was that uh, – Sounds like Plumlee's at least they're going to try to make him the backup quarterback. He didn't say that today, but the fact that he uh, will not be playing on the defensive side of the ball tells me that he's kind of sole focus as a quarterback with probably the intention of making him the backup. That feels Do like you think making fit, right? him the backup uh, even ahead of Tisdale and ahead of, of Dent already? Well, my thinking on this is is if he wasn't – if he wasn't the backup, like if it was Dent or Tisdale, then why not use him on defense? And for me, Plumlee is the most traditional Rich Rod kind of quarterback they have, the, be- the best athlete who seems like he'd be the best threat in the running game. Um, yeah, I-, I think it's a good fit as well. Um, and, you know, the- their starting quarterback, I'm not saying like, – it's definitely Matt Corral's job. I'm not saying that's going to change. But they're just unproven at the position in general. Like their starting quote-unquote veteran quarterback has four games of very limited experience. So maybe it is a depth thing. and I don't know, but I just found that interesting. In a perfect world, they would be able to play all three of them in four games each and divide the season into thirds and have a new backup quarterback for each one. But I don't know if that's uh, you know, going to happen. That would be kind of wild to watch, honestly. Maybe get them all four on the field at the same time. <laughs> Talk about innovation. There's yeah. some innovation for you. Uh, Matt Luke also uh, touched on both of his new coordinator hires. Here's what he had to say at the podium earlier today on that. 
I thought uh, I really liked what we did with our coaching staff in the offseason. Uh, we made changes on both sides of the ball, hiring uh, Rich Rodriguez on offense and Mike McIntyre on defense. I think when you hire two former national coaches of the year, I think that obviously brings a wealth of, uh, of knowledge um, to your staff, but I think it also makes a, a statement. I think it makes a statement to our commitment to winning and about what we're trying to do at, at Ole Miss. Tell me if you agree with this. Uh, it, uh, it does make a statement that they're committed to winning, but everybody in the SEC West is committed to winning. I think it more makes a statement on his willingness to realize that he is not, uh, he needs help and he's willing to hire a couple of guys that have more qualifications than he does to get that help. Yeah, Borky, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I don't know if I would go down the road of he needs help as much as those particular position groups need a different direction. And when he went out and hired Rich Rodriguez, and I think you'll hear it when we talk a little bit later this afternoon, he says about Rich Rodriguez, when I realized he's available, that's the best guy out there. I'm going to get him. And I feel like he did that with both Rich Rod and with Mike McIntyre. It wasn't so much, oh, I need help, but oh, these guys are some of the best at their jobs in the business and they're available, let's go get them. Would you go so far as to say not just, you know, they needed help or they needed a change of direction, they needed a complete overhaul? On the defensive side, yes, I would go complete overhaul. For all the criticism that Phil Longo gets, they were a productive offense. They certainly had their issues in the red zone and their productivity – inside the 20-yard line was bottom 20, bottom 15, whatever it was in the entire country. But to say that the offense wasn't productive to the point that you've got to completely overhaul the offense, that might be overstating it a little bit. They were productive against bad teams, not so much against good ones. Were other teams productive against the teams, though, that they weren't productive against? I mean, were those defenses good? You put my brain in a pretzel on that one. Say that again. Well, I mean, I guess – there weren't many. Was anybody good against Alabama, Auburn? Mississippi State. Yeah. LSU in there, too. Yeah. But, I mean. Those guys should have been able to at least score yeah, on LSU. Yeah, if there was a team that was going to do it, wouldn't it have been Ole Miss with the skill position talent? I mean, they didn't. What were they do missing? Think. What were they missing offensively last year? Literally nothing. They had multiple NFL offensive linemen, three NFL wide receivers, a quarterback that got a look from the NFL, and a 1,000-yard rusher if he's healthy. So, yeah, nothing. Um, what would Rich Rodriguez have done with last year's offensive group, personnel group? That's a good question. You know, I mean. Scored more in the red zone. Yeah, I mean, you think he would have had a different red zone philosophy for sure, but as far as, like, productivity in terms of yards and, and points per game, how much different would it have been? I don't know. But – because he probably would have had less explosive plays. I don't think the deep ball would have been as featured as much. So does that balance out what you didn't get in the red zone? I don't yeah. know. But to the larger point of what we were talking about a second ago, it's like for all – whatever you want to criticize Matt Luke for, he knows how to hire competent people. I mean, Absolutely. He's had, a, um, he's had a track record of hiring people without blemishes. I mean, it's – John Summerall was probably the best assistant on that staff last year. That's a Matt Luke hire. Matt Luke hiring his own – replacement has worked out good with Jack McNeil Jr. And then two of the perceived as the better coordinator options in the country last yeah. year. So, you know, he knows how to get people in place to do to do the job well. The odd. Uh, 
just a random observation. The other thing that stuck out that I don't feel like people are talking about enough, the offensive line thing, I'm pretty sure after their starting five, their second offensive, second team offensive line as it's constructed right now, there is one guy that's played in a football game on the defense on the offensive line. The other guy's a converted tight end. Chandler Tewitt's the only one I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure, that has played in a football game on the offensive line. For Ole Miss? Yes. Their second, you're right. Oh, you're, you're talking about on the second team. Yes, beyond uh, the okay. starting five. I got you. So that's yeah, where, yeah. because you're going to have to have depth there. I mean, unless it's a 2012 thing where all makes start. This is Ole Miss's second team defensive uh, offensive line. Right tackle, Hamilton Hall. Right guard, Chandler Tewitt. Center, Samuel Plash, who came here, and I'm pretty sure he's not even on scholarship. Jalen Cunningham at left guard, and Michael Howard, a converted tight end at left tackle. There you go. He's a big guy, though. He's big. I would imagine you're a big dude if you play left tackle. Um, hey, B- hey, Borky. Uh, I'm sorry. You can finish that thought. No, go ahead. You want to hear something cool, Borky? Let's hear it. I don't really get starstruck. I, I, you know, I, I just have had a chance to meet and talk to a lot of cool people. In the span of 14 minutes, I just interviewed Archie Manning and Herschel Walker. I'm and jealous, man. The, we got that coming for you uh, here in uh, just a little bit as we continue on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio from SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. I'm not sure that we've got time to squeeze it in right here, so we'll save this for the start of the 4 o'clock hour, a, uh, about a six- or seven-minute conversation with, uh, with Archie Manning, uh, who is uh, here in Hoover at SEC Media Days to, uh, one, kind of kick off the celebration for 150 years of college football, and also help with the launch of a new series on SEC Network that uh, is going to detail the history of college football in the Southeastern Conference. And you want to talk about stories, hey, Dad, that they've got to tell. It's going to start um, with the 1800s. So we're going back to the uh, 1880s or so. You're not going to see that. They're, they're doing a preview event tonight at the, uh, the Lyric Theater here in, uh, in Birmingham. And it'll be some of the highlights from some of the previous shows that they've done. Um, so some from Book of Manning, some from the Herschel Walker story, or some from Steve Spurrier. But those three guys are going to be there to kind of narrate and, and talk about uh, the launch of this new series on SEC Network. That's pretty cool. I mean, you got to talk about three of the biggest legends in the, in the history of the SEC. Going all the way back to the 1800s, huh? Yeah. So they got, like, some live recaps from David Murray. Yeah, <laughs> Jeez. yeah. Maybe, maybe that's, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, Momo Sonogo, linebacker for Ole Miss, inside linebacker, who's now going to be featured in the 3-4 scheme, uh, was here today, one of the three Ole Miss players, along with Alex Givens and uh, and Matt Corral. And, Borky, what are we going to hear from him about uh, about here? Oh, this is your one-on-one interview with him. Oh, there we go. Do we have time to do it now, or did I talk too much? Probably talk too much, but that's okay. You kind of do it for a living, so. Yeah, my bad. Uh, let's get that started, and if we run out of time, we'll just uh, we'll quit early. Momo Sonogo earlier with us today at SEC Media Days. More from SEC Media Days. Ole Miss linebacker Momo Sonogo, tackling machine a year ago. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Things are good. Uh, are you excited? Different scheme this year. Uh, you go to the go to the three four. How's that different? Uh, it's different because it gives team a different look against the run. 
uh, we're going to try to force him to block a bear look, uh, which gives Freezer more in the uh, the passing scheme, and it's just uh, it's going to it's going to be a real fit for the uh, for the offense, especially the offensive line. Don't know who's coming, uh, who's attacking. So um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I think we have the defense for it. Uh, some guys that were at DN that fit a lot better outside linebacker like Quadir Shepard and Chuck Wiley. So uh, I'm excited about it. Is it something that allows guys, I don't want to say not play out of position, but maybe play to their strengths a little bit more? If you're a defensive end in the SEC, you got some dudes that you got to go against and try and get around versus being able to stand up and maybe have a little bit of a head start. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, there, there are guys that are just built for that. You know, like DeMarcus Ware, he's he's, he's not built for a 4-3, he's built for a 3-4. He's the outside linebacker that has some presence off the edge. Uh, that's just the type of guy you are. Everybody has their own fit, um, and I think this is a good fit for our defense. What about you? Does this take some of the responsibility of having to go width of the field away and let you kind of focus middle of the field? Theoretically, it does, but uh, at the end of the day, linebacker, you're trying to get to the ball wherever it is. So it doesn't matter where the ball is. I'm trying to get to it. When when you watch pro football or even you watch college football, is there another linebacker that you compare yourself to? Or, or if it's the pro game, maybe try to model your game after a little bit? Um, it, it's less modeling my game after and more just admiration. You know, guys like Luke Keekley, Ray Lewis. Uh, I've always liked Quan Alexander. Um uh, Patrick Willis, obviously. Uh, there's just some guys that uh, you can't help but appreciate their game. And uh, I like to watch those guys. What's the mentality it takes to play linebacker in the SEC? Uh, it just takes a physical mindset, you know, just um, there's no there's no playoff. Uh, every play is an important play. you got to play your heart out and uh, play physical, fast and physical. What uh, did, did you play – other positions if you go back to high school or junior high football or has it been linebacker all the way through well i started off at offensive line and then are you glad you're not an offensive lineman anymore oh most definitely i'm 6'2 240 i'm not an offensive lineman but uh start off offensive line and i moved to dallas and the coaches asked me what i played and i said running back and they were like okay so I just started playing running back and outside linebacker, and then when I went to high school, uh, that was for eighth grade. In the high school, they were like, you know, you're a middle linebacker, and I've just been middle linebacker ever since. So you don't think you could sell Rich Rod on uh, some reps at running back now? Oh, we've got some pretty stellar running backs. I don't think they need me over there. This defense, I mean, it took its lumps a year ago. Felt like in some ways, as the year went along, got a, a little bit better. You get to press the reset button with a with a new coordinator. I know Coach Luke has talked a little bit about you guys being tired of hearing that they're not good enough. How does that translate onto the field? Um, it translates into aggression and, and, and passion on the field. You know, we have a lot of returning guys on defense. So that's a lot of guys that have experience playing. It's also a lot of guys that have had to hear this uh, for the past two years. So uh, we're ready to turn around what, uh, what the almost defensive uh, mindset is uh, for, from the fan side and, and, and let them know that we're something to be proud of. And if that's what Ole Miss is able to do, then maybe it will yield a little more success on the football field. Momo Sonogo joining us at SEC Media Days earlier today, middle linebacker for Ole Miss that's going to be featured in Mike McIntyre's defensive scheme for the very first time. Sonogo, you look last year, leading tackler on the team, 112 tackles 
last season for Ole Miss. One hour quickly in the books, hour number two coming up next with you in the Renaissance Bank studio from SEC Media Days. SEC Media Days, Hoover, Alabama, the Hyatt Regency. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey in Hoover, Michael Borky in our network studios. He's making all of this happen. We've loaded him down with here's stuff that I need you to fix. That's kind of how it's been, Borky. I've been like, you've been like the great fixer for the last couple of days. Yeah, having the mornings off has been kind of nice, though. I've taken my dog on a run and slept in yesterday morning a little bit, got up at like 7.45. It's been nice. Yeah, it might have started a little bit earlier than you to, uh, today, but that's okay. That's okay. You, uh, you deserve it. You've earned it. Uh, so we, uh, we appreciate it. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Normally, our guests appear on the Farm Bureau phone line because we're in the studio and they're somewhere else, and so we hit them up on the Farm Bureau phone line, and we remind you to check out favrates.com. That's where you can go to get an insurance quote on your auto insurance, your home insurance, or you can bundle those coverages together to save. And the great thing is you're dealing with people that you know already, that live in your community, that are a part of your community. It may be people that you go to church with or you see at the ball fields or run into at the grocery store. Or it might just be your next-door neighbor. But in all 82 counties in Mississippi, you've got local Mississippi Farm Bureau insurance agents who will take care of you. That's why we tell you go with Mississippi Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. About a little less than half an hour ago, I was able to sneak upstairs and uh, catch up with uh, a guy who, well, you'll hear in just a second. Here's my conversation with Archie Manning. Joined by Archie Manning, legendary quarterback at Ole Miss, guy that needs absolutely no introduction here at SEC Media Days. Have you ever been here before? One time, and I can't remember why. Maybe, I, I, well, I, you know, I did some things with CBS um, in uh, during the season with Tim Brando, Spencer Tillman, those guys. So it may have been they had me come over here one time. And it was here, so it was probably sometime in the last 15, 20 years. I was reminiscing a little bit, though, Richard. Um, I uh, was talking about back in my day, they had a deal called the SEC Skywriters Tour. And so a bunch of media would load up on a, on a plane, and they would fly all over the SEC. And it was during summer practice, and they'd watch a practice. And then that night, uh, Coach Vaughn said, well, you got to come to me and three other players. You come down to the Holiday Inn. you got to answer questions from these guys. So that was called, I remember it well, it was called the Skywriters Tour. It must have been... 50, well, you got a thousand people now, media here for this. It probably was 50 guys who went around the whole all SEC towns. I've heard about that event that some of those skywriters would just soon uh, assume some of the stories that uh, happened maybe on the airplane not be shared publicly in the uh, the years gone by. You think, I think they they might have had a cocktail or two when they went into some of these SEC towns. I'm not sure yeah. they could have. Just, just going out on a limb there. 150th anniversary of college football, and uh, in a lot of ways you have been looked at as one of the primary ambassadors of the game. Are you proud of where college football is right now? Well, I, I think one thing about the 150th year, um, it's, it's, it's so special. Uh, it makes me feel old because I was playing during the 100th year, and uh, we wore 
in, uh, in 1969, which was probably the best year I had, we wore 100 on our helmets. Uh, and I, I see pictures of it now, and I th- think about that. And I say, goodness gracious, it's been 50 years since, since we did that. But um, I, I think the great thing about, about college football is just the, just the, uh, all the traditions, um, the, the, the coaches, the players, the uh, opportunity to play a te- team sport, compete. Uh, when it's all said and done, you know, the, the uh, friendships you make and everything. I've, I've been fortunate to be around football a long time in a lot of different ways, but the best part of it is the pe- people I've met in the game and the friendships that, I, that I've made, uh, coaches, players, uh, teammates, uh, teammates of my kids, that type of thing. Uh, I, I really cherish those friendships. You've done so much around football, uh, and I don't I don't remember exactly the year that it started, but the Manning Passing Academy, which you started with Cooper and Peyton, and I guess Eli and I were campers together uh, one year before he came on as uh, you know one of the the instructors as well. Has that brought you as much joy as as any of the other stuff that's come along your way? Yeah, it really has. We just wrapped up our 24th year, and we're already looking forward to 20. It's hard for us to believe that. You know, Peyton was a junior uh, at Tennessee when we started. It was really his idea. He'd been to the Bowden camp. He said, "Why don't we do that?" And Coach Bowden, he was when he was recruiting Peyton, he was telling me, you know, how much fun he had. And he guaranteed him four days with his sons. And I said, "You know, that sounds good." So it's it's just been so much fun, and to watch it grow. We, now, the last several years, we have 1,200 kids. We have a staff of 200. Uh, we have 40 college quarterbacks come in as counselors and get to know those guys. And so the whole experience has been great. But I think more than anything is if we're helping the game. And, and some people have a little bit of a, a bad perception that, we're, you know, we're not trying to groom college or pro quarterbacks receivers. We're really trying to enhance the high school experience. And we think high school football is a great institution. And we want the kid. I think any young man that chooses to play it should try should have a good experience. So if we can help him get better, but also talk to him about the little things in football, you know, being a good teammate, uh, being coachable, leadership, those type of things. I, I think we we feel like and hope we're doing something to contribute and give back to the game. Now you've got me feeling my age also because I was a camper in the summer of 1998. So that would have been uh, year three or so, pretty pretty early in the process. Yeah, and we were over. We had moved over to Hammond, Louisiana, right. southeast Louisiana, and we ran out of gra- we ran out of grass at Tulane the first year. Out of <laughs> so we went to southeast, and, and nine years there we ran out of grass. So we were down at Thibodeau at Nickel State, where we got more field space. And uh, like I said, we just we wrapped up number 24, and we had a great camp. And um, it's these, these kids are uh, it's, it's wonderful to be around high school kids that really love love the game and want to get better at. I think you had a chance to to see quarterbacks from Ole Miss and Mississippi State there with Matt Corral and and Tommy Stevens. Any uh, anything you can pass along with those two guys that our listeners would enjoy hearing? Both of them throw the ball extremely well. Uh, you know when I, when I uh, invited Tommy to come, he was getting ready for his senior year at Penn State right. and. Uh, he, a quick story. So he called me. He said, uh, Mr. Manning, I'm going to go in the portal. He said, does that take away my invitation? I said, no, uh, Tommy, I told you I invite you. Certainly, you're still invited. You can come. 
So he called me three three weeks later, and he said, I'm going to transfer to Mississippi State. I said, whoa, now, we got to talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I've always, we've always had Mississippi State quarterbacks at the Manning Pass game. We had Dak Prescott for three years. So, But he's a fine young man, I tell you. And he's a good-looking kid. And uh, during our, our workouts, he threw the ball extremely well. Uh, Matt got sick, but he threw he, he uh, real well the, the first night. And bless his heart, he just he just got sick, and um, he, he he wanted to be there, and we just thought it best. You know, it's hot and everything, but um, we had a good group. I believe we had ten SEC quarterbacks there this year, and they all did real well. And and uh, it was Jake Bentley's third year to come. And he won our quarterback challenge, and he was some fired up about that. That's yeah. a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat deal. We talked about you being involved with the 150th anniversary of college football. Peyton's involved with the NFL anniversary video series. Eli's going into another year with the Giants. Uh, family times are still good, right? Well, it is. It is real good. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully that Eli and the Giants can kind of get back on track this year. Peyton's real excited about this 100-year thing he's done with it, but he's worked real hard on it, so it. It'll be coming out soon and uh, as you know I've been on the board a long time the National Football Foundation been chairman for the last 12 years and, and we're excited about the 150th year we have a program out there called football matters and, and as everyone knows you know with the um, safety issue it's been a lot of a, a lot of things going on in football but I'm, I'm very proud of how how many people have worked hard at every level pro college um, high school, junior college, whatever, to try to make our game safer. And um, we, uh, this program we're doing is called Football Matters. We think there's some, a lot of great testimonies about the way the game of football has uh, been a part of people's lives. Always appreciate your time. Great to visit with you. It's certainly good to see you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, brother. That was Archie Manning just a little while ago, and uh, he is here along with Steve Spurrier and Herschel Walker to celebrate, uh, begin the celebration of the 150th year of, uh, of college football. Um, he's just one of those guys that if he would be willing to tell stories for three or four or five hours, then you'd probably be willing to just sit there and listen to them. That, that comment about Tommy Stevens is hilarious. You like that? Yeah, that was funny, yeah. Uh, so if, if you're just joining us, if you missed it a second ago, we asked about uh, quarterbacks from Ole Miss and Mississippi State being at the Manning Passing Academy this year. Uh, Matt Corral and Tommy Stevens, and he said that he invited Tommy Stevens when he was going to be a senior at Penn State. And Tommy called him and he said, uh, Mr. Manning, uh, I'm, I'm planning to go into the transfer portal, and I just wanted to check and see if that would affect my status for being at the uh, Manning Passing Academy. He said, no, Tommy. He said, I invited you to come. You're invited. He said he called him back three weeks later and said, uh, Mr. Manning, I'm going to transfer to Mississippi State. And he said, whoa, <laughs> we got to talk about this now. Uh, it was really good, really good from uh, Archie Manning. You'll hear from Herschel Walker coming up a little later this afternoon as well. Billy Lucci from Texags will join us next when we continue from SEC Media Days. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio, Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Day two of SEC Media Days had Ole Miss and Georgia here this morning in the afternoon session, Tennessee and Texas A&M. Tennessee in the east, Jeremy Pruitt, Texas A&M, of course, in the west with uh, Jimbo Fisher. And uh, to talk a little bit about the Aggies, 
Billy Lucci joins us right now from texags.com. Pretty nice piece of news for uh, for you guys. And, and by the way, do a great job Thank covering you. Texas A&M, but a partnership with The Athletic moving forward as well. That's cool. Yeah, we announced it today. It's been in the works for a little bit. Uh, pretty excited about that, man. It was. It just seems like a great fit. I think we can uh, bring a lot to the table in terms of our A&M coverage. I've always felt like we do it better than anybody in, 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 our, in our beat. And in some ways, we've done a lot of good things for little old sites like ours that cover one specific school. And we've kind of been able to change the game a little bit at times. It's been fun to watch us grow from starting out in my bedroom, one one man <laughs> one man deal in my bedroom living with uh three guys that went on to do, you know, Shane Leckler, long probably a Hall of Fame punter, Dan Absolutely. Campbell. It was an NFL head coach with the Dolphins, he's now with the Saints, and then there was me trying to get this thing off the ground. So we did it it was nice. Today was awesome though, because I think we can bring something to them, but I really think the athletic will be a great thing for the Texag subscribers just to kind of give them not only the national expertise of guys like Bruce Feldman, Stuart Mandel, Andy, and, and most recently Andy Staples, but yeah. also just to kind of follow along not just Texas A&M but the SEC, college football, Astros, Rangers, Cowboys, Texans, whoever. I love what they're doing over there, and I just I think they're changing – the game completely in terms of uh, how we consume our sports, Billy, our go, sports media. You, you say little old website. That kind of goes against the whole everything's bigger in Texas thing. I, I'm not sure it's <laughs> such a little old website uh, anymore. But it was. It was. Certainly congratulations on, so uh, on your success. This, to me, is a fascinating season, uh, maybe to watch from afar, maybe from your perspective to watch up close with Texas A&M. Uh, year one, it's, it's kind of about what you inherit. Year two, it starts to become yours. And most people look at A&M and go, year three, that's the year where look out, they're coming. Is that a fair assessment of kind of how to look at Jimbo in Aggieland? I think it's very fair. I think it's very likely that that's how things play out. Um, you you just never know with, with the talent that he's going to put on the field this year. There's just not a lot of seniors in the schedule so tough. There's probably one senior that'll start. And, and I'm not sure he's even a senior because Michael Clemens, defensive end, has missed enough time that I'm, I'm fairly convinced that if they wanted to get an extra year back for him, they, they could. So on the one hand, you hear that and you see the schedule and you go, yeah, it, it's, on, it's, it's ready to be that next season when Georgia and Clemson fall off and they're replaced by Vandy and, and Colorado. But you also look at the team, and you look at how they ended the year. You look at that LSU game, and you look at those receivers and Kellen Mond making plays. You look at what they've got on the defensive line and all the personnel they have to work with in the secondary, which I thought was their weakest link, could be the most improved unit on the team. And you start to go, this football team could end up being really, really good say by sometime around midseason and on and they're dangerous early on for a team like Clemson that they scored on last year right that loses so much defensively you know you wonder if they could go in into Death Valley early and get in a shootout you wonder when they go into Death Valley a second time the one in Baton Rouge if they don't have a chance to look a lot like that team that we're all talking about you know when they finish 
at Georgia, at LSU. How much are they going to look and play like the team that we're all talking about seeing in 2020? That's an interesting way to look at it because, I mean, the, the only difference is what an offseason yeah. and, and another year of maturity, I, yeah. I suppose, because at that point that's basically the team that you've, you've got going into the uh, following season. With, I mean, probably minus Justin Matabike, who will likely leave early, and maybe one or two other guys total. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it. Kellen Mond was a guy last year I thought took a huge leap and really became a really good quarterback in the SEC as a sophomore. Do you think that he can take another leap forward this year as a junior? I think so. I think if you watch him and you saw, again, that leap you mentioned is, is exactly what happened. He took such a big, such a big step before his sophomore season. The guy's got 26 to 28 more college football games left, but he's already faced what he faced at Mississippi State. Grantham and Shoup. He's faced Saban twice. Aranda. Jeremy Pruitt with Bam also. Aranda once. Brent Venables. Venables. Muschamp twice. Kevin Steele twice. He's still got two years left. Wesley McGriff. (laughs) Wesley McGriff once. Which, uh, hey, they had two two early turnovers they forced on him. And really, that game is interesting. You know, Ole Miss was in that game. They were in that game, and they were leading, and, and he fumbled that ball near the goal line, and they ran it back, and then they came back, and he threw a pick. And that was kind of a low point for him, I think, of the season. They had they had lost previously uh, at Mississippi State where they got after him, and then at Auburn where he had a tough pick late. Jimbo probably was just thinking, man, what do I do here if he makes one more mistake? Do I risk losing this game, or do I try Nick Starkle, who's at Arkansas now? He didn't do it, and Kellen went. I think he accounted for three touchdowns in the sec, you know, last 20 minutes or so of that game. Well, from that pick against Ole Miss on, I think, and, and that included the bowl game against NC State, LSU, a pretty good UAB team, and the rest of Ole Miss. So those four games, I think his touchdown to interception ratio or turnover ratio is 14 to 1. So he finished the season playing his best ball. By all accounts, that's carried on in the offseason. You combine that with what Jimbo can do and the confidence. Man, I, I I think he could be one of the SEC's breakout players this year. Remain, you know, We have to wait and see with that schedule. But if he can get the running game without Travion Williams, if they can kind of keep clicking and going on the ground, I think he could have a monster year. Those receivers are, are pretty special. Billy Lucci, very Texas name. With yeah. us on uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Street. Pride of online. Yonkers, New York, by way of Sugarland, Texas. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Supertalk.fm at SEC Media Days. You know, it's it's kind of strange if you think back to, to the transition from Big 12 to SEC. It just feels like it's been this way forever. Right. It, it, I mean, I think it's different with Missouri, and that's not to take anything away. I mean, we've talked about the differences. But it's fit from day one with A&M. Does it feel to you guys like the Big 12 was decades ago? Yeah, it does. It's it's weird, right? And, and everyone at A&M, like, dating back, R.C. Slocum and back, they always felt like A&M was more of a fit culturally. Uh, just They were just a fit in the SEC. Southwest Conference was fine. That was a regional conference, but back in the you know when Arkansas and South Carolina joined the league A&M a lot there was a contingent A&M people 
that wanted to see the Aggies make that push. It's always felt like it was the fit. But, yeah, think about this now. After this season, we're at the halfway point of the length of time A&M was even in the Big 12. People forget that was only a 15-year run for A&M. 96. So 12 And their last year was 2011. This will be year eight for A&M in the SEC. I mean, literally – they're already at the halfway point of the amount of time they were in the uh, in the Big Twelve. So, yeah, it wasn't. They, they, you know, I think maybe there was a they established a rivalry with with OU. That was probably it outside of the Texas schools. So for A and M to come over here, Andy Staples said it on our our show this morning. I thought he nailed it. You know, of all the realignment stuff, A and M has been the best fit. It's been the most successful story. Mm-hmm. Forget about records and what I – it's been the best fit, the most successful story in terms of how much a and benefited and how much the SEC benefited by getting that getting that Texas market. Billy, only a minute left. Um, you and I were talking about this last night. On Texas a and M schedule, both games against the Mississippi schools are really, really important this year. You, you agree with that? Absolutely. I think they've been important every year. I think they're what got a big part of what got Kevin Sumlin fired. You look at Shea Patterson in the comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, Ole Miss a couple years earlier drubbing A&M at home in front of 100,000. Going up to Starkville, ranked number four in the country, and in the playoff ranking and getting beat. It, Mississippi, the Mississippi schools have been a thorn in A&M's side ever since Johnny Manziel left. They got to turn that around, and, and I think this year, you look at that schedule, nothing away from Mississippi State and Ole Miss because they have beaten A&M. You, you have to win those football yeah. games, especially uh, when you get them at home. And, and you mentioned Johnny Manziel. That's two of the best football games I've ever seen. In the, Oxford? The, the, the two in Oxford in the back-to-back seasons. Unbelievable. Crazy A&M's making their fifth trip to Oxford this year since really, joining the league. Really is. Hey, yep. thanks for stopping by. Good visiting right, with you. Appreciate it. Billy Lucci Thank from uh, TexAgs.com. Aggies here in Hoover at SEC Media Days today. Back with you at SEC Media Days. You can text the show on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That is the ceasefire text line. Ceasefire, customer inspired. I just want to say this. I do not take for granted, and I mean this genuinely, that I have one of the greatest jobs on planet Earth. I get to talk about sports for a living. I do it three days a week. I get to work with really good people. I get to visit with really cool people on a pretty regular basis. Buddy, I'm sorry, I've turned your mic off. Just get to <laughs> Sorry, I'll turn you back on. Hey, Dad. I was just trying to set up what I was about to press play on. You, you, you as well. Everybody's good? I think we're good. It's like a light switch. It keeps going on and off. Huh? Well, I turned it off because Borky told me to turn your mics off. What does he know? Because you guys were talking during the interview. I understand. Hold on now. I was like, that was like my big buildup to where I was headed with this thing. Wait, did you say you do this three days a week? Three hours a day. Oh. He did say three days a week, just not on purpose. I was about to say. He said three days a week. I thought this was. I was wondering what you did. The other two days are when we talk about fiery rats and, and, you know, things like that. Let me back up a second. I love my job. I get to talk about sports three hours a day, five days a week. And I mostly get to work with good people. 
and I get to visit with a lot of really interesting people. But with all of that said, some days are a little better than others, like this one. Continuing from SEC Media Days and joined by one of the all-time greats, Herschel Walker, uh, 150th year of college football. When you hear that, what kind of emotion does it uh, bring up for you? You know, that brings a lot of emotion because you talk about 150 years of college football, how the game has changed so much. Uh, even like today, uh, Media Day, and I, I, Archie and I was talking, and I say, you know, I don't remember Media Day where I, I went somewhere and there was all these news reporters. Most all the media came to Georgia, and this has gotten so big with all the, uh, the social media world. And, and, you know, athletes gotten bigger. You know, I was standing right next to a couple of Tennessee players, and, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, do I need to grow? Like, they've gotten so big. <laughs> But I say that's what that's what it's about. It's a lot of great players that have come out of the SEC. So I'm happy to see this. Herschel, you're you're in a unique position because we talk about the history of the game, and people automatically start talking about some of the game's all-time great players. You're a name that always comes up in the conversation of greatest running back to ever play the game at the college level. Does that ever strike you as as odd, or is it a little hard to kind of place yourself there, or is it a lifetime of being in that conversation, and so it's it's no different for you? Well, no, it's very humbling. It's very humbling because, you know, when you talk about football, it's not just Herschel Walker playing, it's not just uh, Bo Jackson, it's not just Barry Sanders, it's not just those players. You have a team. And I tell people, you know, I played uh, in the early 80s. Uh, Georgia was on the way up. Uh, you know, they had an offensive line. And, you know, we talk about football, and offensive line coach will love this. Uh, you won't see me get hit in the backfield hardly in the three years I was at, at Georgia. So I get an opportunity to get to the next level. So if I had not done the things that I've done, I didn't deserve to be a running back there. And so it wasn't just me, and that's why I say it's very humbling to hear my name mentioned uh, among a lot of great players in the SEC, 150 years, because, you know, I'm from a little town in Wrightsville, Georgia. I'm from a little town and not that many people, and I'm humbling because I want uh, all the kids in my little hometown or in any little town all over the United States to realize that if Herschel Walker can do it, you can too. Uh, but you got to have the right frame of mind. You know, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. I'm going to tell them it's going to be extremely hard. Your workout routines have been kind of the stuff of legend through the years. What, what do you do now? Because you look fantastic. I, I, I don't know if you feel like you could step in and play today, yeah. but you look like you could. Well, no, I, I feel awesome. You know, I'm still doing about 1,500 push-ups every day, 3,500 sit-ups. You know, I, I, you know, I got into MMA, so I still fight. I still train. I'm at a military base every uh, three weeks. I'm at a base all over the world where I'm doing PT, combative, and all that. So, you know, I feel good. And that's what I tell people, all the people out there, keep moving. You know, keep moving. Don't don't ever stop. I think when you stop, you start to get old. You know, I, I was very fortunate to have uh, great brothers and sisters that's very active. And now they got kids that now want to compete against me. And that's what it kept me close to uh, college football. My nephew, uh, last year, Milan Richard, played at Clemson. He uh, was a tight end at Clemson, so I kept up with it. And with Georgia having the running backs that they've had over the years, you know, they're excited to watch. It's like, wow. They, Swift now, watching him play is like, whoa. And Chubbs and Michelle the last two years and Gurley, 
you know, you, those are names, and, and I can keep going back. That's what's so uh, interesting is the running backs that have come through uh, Georgia. You know, you have to watch them. Those are guys that uh, that legends are made of. I, you know, and I don't know whether I'm a legend or what I am. Let, let me answer that for you. Yeah, the answer well, is yes. Well, you know, I, I just tell people, I, I think I'm just a football player that had an opportunity. It was my time. Uh, that was my time. Like today, that's the guy's time today. But I want them to know they can be me. You got to go out and work, but you also got to sacrifice. You know, I'm not going to, as I said, I'm not going to tell them it's going to be easy because it's not. You know, I, I've sacrificed a lot. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to parties. You know, I didn't go to parties. I didn't go out. You know, I was in a classroom or on a football field, on a track. And that's why I tell people, you got to sacrifice. It, it, it ain't going to come easy. You, you mentioned visiting military bases. When did that start, and, and what caused you to say, hey, this is part of what I want to do with my time? Well, you know, I, uh, I've i always wanted to be a Marine. Uh, before I went to Georgia, I flipped the coin, go to the military, go to Georgia. That's how I ended up at Georgia by corn toss. And I've okay, always I gotta, had, I, we got to yes. press pause for a second. Yes. Honestly. Did, did it land on heads or tails? But what happened is I wanted to go to the Marines, and I flipped a coin to the side to go to Georgia, go to the military, and it came up head that I go to Georgia. And then I flipped a coin of what school to go to because I, I was upset that I was not going to Georgia because I didn't want to go because I was mad. So I flipped the coin because of that and ended up at Georgia. But what was well, the other option? The uh, other option is I was going to go to Clemson University okay. or go out to USC out in California. And that's how I ended up at Georgia. But what's strange is I wrote a book on the social identity disorder uh, in 1999. And the book did well on behavioral health. And I took some of the proceeds and invested in behavioral health hospitals. And then I got an opportunity to talk to a couple of soldiers because of the PTSD and a couple of things there. And my program called Patriot Support, which I've been very honored to be a part of with uh, UHS, uh, now we visit a base every three weeks all over the world where I get to do PT, combative, and talk to the young men and women. And that's what helped me out because of my condition. Uh, and what I mean my condition, my conditioning in athletics. Because you know, most of the young men and women of service today know the name, but they don't know what I, they don't, they never see me play, you know, they, they're too young. But when they see uh, this older guy get out there and I'm running with them, I'm jumping out of a plane, I'm in the ocean with the seals, I'm on a mat with guys, like 10 guys and all this, and they see the things I'm doing that's kind of shock. And that's when they listen to me, and that's when I get an opportunity to get the audience where I can tell them about, you know, there's no shame to ask for help. So that's been a big joy. That's been a, a big joy for me to do that. Well, it's remarkable that you've chosen to, to do that and have been able to kind of find that as a mission. Last thing, how would you like to run behind this year's Georgia offensive line? You know, I, I would love it. I would love it. But as I said earlier on, I, my time is gone. <laughs> this is uh, this is swift time now. And I tell you what, it's going to be great. I tell you, I picked Georgia to be – they're going to be at the top again. I think we're from there. I think Georgia's going to be at the top again. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I think Georgia, you know, Alabama is always going to be strong because of Coach Saban. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be a, a great, great college football season this year because there's a lot of good teams. I think Ohio State with Phil uh, now uh, joining Ohio State, yeah. they're going to step. It's going to step it up. And uh, but I, I just think that right now with Coach Smart, the way the team uh, practice, the way they uh, go about things. I look for them to be at the top of the heap again. Herschel, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome now. Thank you. That is Herschel Walker.
what an incredible story and how college football history might would have been changed if that coin had landed I, differently. Well, I hope no Clemson fans are listening to this. They're going to want to. They're going to want to hang themselves from the highest tree when they find out they could have had Herschel Walker if it come up tails. Well, think about it. we could have missed Herschel Walker in college football altogether yeah. if it had come up tails and he had gone to the Marines. Yeah. And then he said he was mad. Yeah. That it landed on Mar- uh, that it didn't land on the Marines. On Marines. Yeah. And so he was mad at Georgia because he was from Georgia, and so he flipped again. And Georgia beats out Clemson, and he flips it again, and Georgia beats out Southern Cal. And I tell you what, though, your question about the offensive line, I think he could easily get six, 700 yards. You think so? Yeah. He looks good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about like right now. I'm not talking about in his prime. I'm you, talking you, about right now he'd still get 600 yards. You heard what he said about his workout regimen. Still 50 to 100 push-ups a day and 3,500 sit-ups a day. I don't do anything 3,500. I don't take 3,500 steps someday. <laughs> this man's doing a sit-up for every step I take. Could you imagine that dude? In the military, like our the Cold enemies, the war would have ended the same. Even like Rambo, our enemies would have thought over. that we like engineered him in a lab or something, and he was some kind of super soldier. So, uh, I mean, he looks great. He's still fighting in the MMA. He is. If if he's not your number one all time college football running back, he's in the conversation. He's a, he's top five. No worse than top three. Sports Talk Mississippi. So we've heard from Archie Manning and from Herschel Walker. That's a wrap. We're done here. We're just going to we'll start over tomorrow. Actually, more coming up with you when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio from SEC Media Days. Just after 5 o'clock with you on this Tuesday afternoon, final hour of day two of SEC Media Days in Hoover. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky. Glad to have you along. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you've got land financing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi. Maybe you're a farmer with a need for new equipment, you're going to buy a piece of property, get a production loan, or maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. All of those things Mississippi Land Bank can help with at Mississippi Land Bank. They've been financing land for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Land. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out all about all that Ford's got to offer, including the Hurry Up and Save sales event. Great deals on the F-150, the Edge, the Explorer, the Expedition, the Expedition Max, and all, the full, all of them, the full line cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Talked earlier today with Matt Corral. Here is that conversation. SEC Media Days, Ole Miss here today. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm and uh, joined by the uh, now veteran freshman quarterback, Matt Corral. Is that right? Veteran freshman? You have four games under your belt. Yes, sir. Just uh, just got my feet wet just to finally experience what SEC football is about. Does that feel like it's an advantage for you? I mean, you, you hear about quarterbacks playing as true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, but it's only new that you can kind of go through this experience where you do play. Yeah, it was the first year they made that rule, right, last year? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm thankful they did because, um, you know, I just gives you that leg up, you know, finally be a freshman again with experience. And, and they tried to get you in some spots where it wasn't just going in handing off and garbage time stuff also no, i mean they i mean coach luke was clear about it uh they're only going to need they're only use me if they needed me their plan was to rest me 
first experience for uh, for media days for you. What did you think? A lot of talking, a lot of talking, saying the same old stuff. But I mean, you know, it's a good experience of just, you know, finally just experience this this new uh, what what football is going to be from here on out. Tomorrow. All right, so so I'm your last interview of the day, so I better come up with good questions if it's not just the same thing over and over, right? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. This is probably one that you've uh, you've been asked. Um, new offensive coordinator in Rich Rodriguez. How is this year going to be different for you than what you kind of learned and went through a season ago? Um, you know, I, I just feel like Rich Rod really emphasized um, us playing with a hard edge, you know, playing with that, that savage mentality and just being able to go go as fast as you can and being uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. You know, he, he says that day in and day out, and, it, it, you know, it's ingrained in our heads. Um, you know, when we're running, he gets mad if, if, our, if, we're all, if our hands are on our, on our hips. You know, it's just those little things that I think Rich Rod will uh, be able to help us to get us where we want to go. You showed a little bit of an edge last year, didn't you? Yes, sir. So, so that part's not a, a, a entirely new. Has has that always been kind of part of your game? I, you know, in high school, I feel like it was, but it, you know, it just wasn't to that extent, just because you know it's high school. It's not that amped up. It's it's just high school football. Um, but you know, now I'm on this big stage where you know it's SEC football. You're playing against the best of the best. Um, you know, I just I feel like you know. You just can't let people push you around. What's the balance, especially at the quarterback position, of, of playing with an edge, playing with a chip on your shoulder, however you want to describe it, but also being in control and knowing that teammates are looking to you from a leadership standpoint and knowing that you're not playing at a position where you can afford to kind of lose your head? Yeah, you know, I feel like a perfect example of that would be like Tim Tebow, Baker Mayfield. Um Johnny Manziel on the field, you know, just uh, just having that, you know, that that edge, it it's what it's what makes people want to follow you. It's what makes you elite, like makes you who you are, personally for me. And you know, kids want to follow that. Um, others want to follow that because you know, mine's just getting magnified because I'm a quarterback. Other receive my receivers are just the same way, but you know they're. They didn't. They didn't get to show that just because one, they were young, they were freshmen. They didn't play as much because they had DKAJ Lodge, um, and just being able to, you know, know know what type of players they are just because I try to train with them every day and I know what their mentality is like. I feel like it's, you know, we mesh well together. I think you just named three Heisman Trophy winners. <laughs> right, you're, you're you're not saying anything there, are you? Pretty close. With Tebow and Johnny Manziel and uh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. You know, well, you put that in perspective. All all those three quarterbacks who played with an edge have been Heisman Trophy winners. So you're not making a prediction necessarily. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, the traits of the Heisman Heisman Trophy winners. You know, they played with that edge. What's the importance of leadership and and being a leader for your teammates? when you're at that position um you know i just feel like a big part of it was when you first come in just have that shut up and work mentality you know show those guys that you you know you're all in for this and this is what you want in life and uh uh you know just being able to be around those guys and you know they're on the same mission as you so you you guys want to get there together as a team what kind of family background what got you to this point and and kind of the relationship within your family um, you know, just the relationship I had with my family. You know, we weren't. My dad always made me do something. 
they always made me do some whatever sport it was uh whether it was football soccer baseball he wanted me doing something wanted me playing some type of sport and you know football always stuck with me and uh you know as it got serious as you know i started lifting when i was in seventh grade where i started really you know uh thinking nothing would come of it just working out and i was religious with it too i didn't do anything until i worked out and um i feel like that's what brought me to where i am today just having that mentality and having that you know that edge and uh i feel like you know my dad was the one who really like he didn't think i was going to get a scholarship or play football or college it's just you know i was a fan of working out and you know i love i love playing football so he just always wanted me to have the advantage and and to get that advantage was a training what's your biggest strength as a player uh my biggest strength as a player just you know having that mentality of you know what i want and making sure i get it what i want and it's not necessarily just that but just damn that's a, that's a hard one to explain what about physically physically i mean just understanding what the defense is doing and being able to uh uh identify the defense and what the front is because i've you know i've since high school i've had nfl coaches and they've taught me more than what i needed to know at that time and so it's always just carried on carried on uh throughout the years and now rich rock comes and t- comes and it's the same exact thing of what i'm learned what i learned my senior year so i mean it's nothing new it's just it's just how fast can you learn it or not let's say how fast you can learn it how fast you could uh how fast you could pick up what the defense is doing and what you need to do with the ball when the defense gives you something you don't you didn't expect in your mind running with the football versus being a passing quarterback I, I don't know if you identify yourself as a dual threat guy or you're more of a traditional pro style guy I know both of those things exist in your game how, how does that mesh with what you're going to be trying to do offensively um, it's going to mesh very well you know if, you know if the team's going to give us a run for me we're going to run the ball if they're giving us a pass we're going to pass it and it's just um, you know, I feel like Rich Rod. I know Rich Rod knows what he's doing just because you know the way he teaches it, how he how he how he teaches it, and a firm believer in what he in what he preaches, and uh, in his background. You know, everybody everyone knows his background, so you know it, he knows what he's doing. So I, I trust it, and the players are going to trust it and fall behind. I talked to Coach Luke earlier today, and I, and I asked him about the first two games to start to the year. And he pretty quickly said, well, you know, it's one game, so, so I get the, the focus on a single game. But knowing what the schedule looks like to start the year, where you got to go on the road and play a good Memphis team in week one, and then you've got the home SEC opener in week two, does that do anything for kind of off-season preparation and being a little bit more of an incentive to be ready to roll? It's just giving us, you know um, – it's good to start off with Memphis. We haven't beat Memphis. Last time we played them, we had Evan Ingram, Chad Kelly, Stringfeld, all those guys, and we lost. Um, you know, so I feel like this is going to be a big game for us, and I, I'm excited for it, as as all the other players are. And um, you know, we're going to come with that chip on our shoulder because we're expected to lose, and <laughs> I, I just don't see it happening that way. You excited about the start of the season? Very. Can't put it into words. I, someone asked me that, and I. I didn't say anything. I just like choked. I didn't know what to say because I was like, couldn't put it into words of like how excited I am to just be in this situation, how grateful I am, and you know, it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of 
like adrenaline, you know, a lot of emotion leading up to this first game. That was Matt Corral, quarterback for Ole Miss going into the 2019 season. He's excited. It's low-key excited. Um, some interesting thoughts from him and uh, kind of what's on the horizon for uh, Matt Corral. I think that's uh, about as subdued as you will hear him uh, probably at any point. Uh, appreciate Matt joining us for a conversation. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio from SEC Media Days. There's plenty of time today talking Ole Miss. We really haven't gotten a lot to Georgia this afternoon. Billy Lucci from Texags joined us to talk some Texas A&M football. All guests appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Except when they don't, which is like when they are sitting right across the uh, table from us. Austin Stanley from A to Z Sports in Nashville joins us right now. What's up, man? How's it going? Good to see you. Yes, yes. Bumped into you for a few minutes last night. Right. And uh, sounds like things are going well in A to Z land. They are, yeah. Gearing up for a, a big Titan season uh, with a couple former uh, well, one former Ole Miss guy, one former state guy that I think everybody's waiting on is Jeffrey Simmons to see how that goes. But A.J. Brown has been the talk of a lot of the offseason. Then, of course, uh, the Vols under Jeremy Pruitt year two, yeah. seeing what that's going to look like to see if he can get things turned around, can't lose to Vanderbilt again. That's kind of the overall uh, deal there. Four, yeah. four in a row would no, not be a good be, thing, right? That would be a disaster, yes. Um, yeah, if you're not growing in Nashville, you're not doing it right. That's correct. Right? Yeah, everything because everything's growing yes, in Nashville. Like CBD is all over the place in Nashville. Everything is growing in Nashville. <laughs> CBD, <laughs> Rippy, that's your gig, right? That's your jam. I guess if this doesn't work out, maybe <laughs> what to sell it? Yeah, you could if you try the gum. I have not tried it. Do you know anybody that's tried the oils or chewed yeah. the gum? Oh, or that's what's crazy. But like a lot of the Titans players are very for it. Derek Morgan actually just retired, but he was uh, he's a big proponent about the NFL. I got a couple friends that do it. Uh, me and my wife got some CBD honey for our dogs. We haven't done it yet, uh, but it's sitting there on the counter. Why would you give your dog CBD honey? Anxiety. Huh. Like J just they get like, round up for a thunderstorm or something? Yeah, yeah. Like 4th of July, fireworks could have, you know, caused something. But they're pretty chill as it is, so we haven't really done it yet. So it's, let's, get our, experiment. let's get our dogs high <laughs> yeah. so they'll chill out. Yeah, I just kind of want to see what they react like. And then if the dogs do well with it, then you start putting it on your biscuits in the morning? I'm not against it. Is it that kind of honey? Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not against it. I mean, I don't have migraines or anything like that. I'm not, like, that yeah. anxious of a person. But, hey, it's out there. Um, so you mentioned A.J. Brown, excitement level. Have you seen enough? I mean, I know it's just kind of like mini camp stuff. What's the expectation of his role in the offense, like, right out of the gate? Well, he tweaked his hammy, like, OTA day one or day two. That's a great start. Yeah, and so he was very limited the rest of the way. Uh, but the guy's a freak. You guys know it. I mean, he's a he is a freak of nature. He's been working hard. Corey Davis and, and he had been working after practice on the jugs together, running routes together. Um, I, I think expectations for AJ Brown are very high around Titans fans. Now, I don't think the Titans have to rely on him out of the gate that much, and they can allow him to come along at his own pace because Corey Davis is bound for a big year. Adam Humphreys in free agency, and Delaney Walker's back. So I, I think AJ Brown is in a near-perfect situation for a rookie wide receiver, as long as the quarterback stays healthy, obviously. Yeah. 
And if he's good, there will be reps there for him. And if he needs a little longer to develop, that's okay too? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's an interesting way. What about Jeff Simmons from a recovery process standpoint and just kind of what's expected and how soon? And He spoke once during the offseason, and he said that if the Titans' plan is that he doesn't play until 2020, he's okay with that. He's okay with whatever the Titans' plan is, and he's doing some, like, light i wouldn't call it sprints but at least like get offs you know what i mean like sprint starts light sprinting so uh that's about it hasn't the recovery time for most acl injuries changed though from what we like traditionally expect yeah it speeds up now what was that february yeah, i think it was it was I guess so because he missed the combine but he wasn't gonna go to the combine anyway because the off the field stuff right missed so, pro day too. yeah yeah that's right so it was like mid-february i mean you can do math on the air october no, like early november would or december sounds about right depends on where the titans are in the win-loss column at that point and you know yeah. don't want to do anything too stupid uh, I mean, Kevin Durant came back too early. We saw what happened with that. Sure. And that happened right around the same time that we talked to Jeffrey Simmons. So you would be cautious there. On the uh, on the Tennessee front, you said they need to not lose to Vanderbilt for a uh, for a fourth consecutive year. Yeah, that's uh, correct. I think most would agree that that would be a, a good plan. Beyond that, what what what's the uh, Tennessee fans are passionate, and I think their expectations are high. Though maybe those have come down a bit in recent years just because of results. I don't, yes. maybe, maybe the expectations haven't come down. I well, don't know. I think they were realistic up until early July. In July, I started seeing more. Oh, eight and four is is doable. Oh, you could do. You can get nine and four. The bowl win totally. And I'm I'm not there. I'm thinking if if Tennessee gets to seven and five, that's a very solid regular season. And if you get to a bowl game, whatever happens in a bowl game is just a bonus. But I think 7-5 and five is very realistic. Anything over that is asking for a lot because it's an upset over a Mississippi State team in Knoxville. Uh, it's an upset you know, maybe at Missouri. I think Missouri still going to be pretty strong. Uh, but they definitely have to handle business against Kentucky. Uh, they need to, they've never beat Will Muschamp as a head coach ever, Florida or South Carolina. So you got to snap huh. that. And then, of course, the Vandy game, like I mentioned, which is the last one uh, of, this, of the schedule. So they, they have to beat Vanderbilt and I think do some pretty good work against the lower part of the East. You mentioned the Mississippi State game. You said upset. You, you obviously think that the Vols might not be favored in that game. I would think on the road that State might be the underdog there. But for both teams, is there a bigger swing game in the SEC? Because I think whoever wins that game, is they're going to go on to a pretty decent bowl. Whoever loses that game might struggle to get to a bowl at all. I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I don't know about the other games around the other, you know, other teams at this point. But I do think that's a very – whenever Tennessee fans are thinking 8-4, and four, that is a win. And I'm not ready to do that. I know State lost a lot of, you know, three first-round draft picks off the defense, but I know there's a lot of talent there still. And I know the, they like both quarterbacks there. If one guy emerges, and that game's, what, early October, so there's four or five games for that to play out. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Jerry, if Jared Garantano gets hurt, they have Tennessee has nothing. Pruitt said it upstairs. He said they don't have a single quarterback behind Jarrett Garantano. It's taken a college snap. So we know how bad that offensive line is. That's not too far away from being very different for the Vols. I mean, that's not entirely different than same what we've heard about Ole Miss, Exactly right? the same what Matt Luke said about Ole Miss. Yeah. With, with the exception of the fact that Jarrett Garantano played most of a season 
Yeah. He, he didn't start every game, did he? Uh, the, I think Chris, Keller Chris, uh, the Stanford transfer, might have gotten one start late because Garantano was hurt. Yeah. Uh, or either that or Garantano left early because of some injury. But it was, it was just, he was just bruised and beaten. Sure. Now with Ole Miss, it's four appearances for Matt Corral. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> uh, the, the red shirt intact. So red shirt freshman with three freshman backups. That's tough. That's a tough spot to be in in the SEC, whether you're talking about Tennessee's situation or Ole Misses. Yeah, it is. And you would, Is that because of quarterback transfers? Not really. Is, I mean, maybe not for – I guess not for these two situations, but I find it very strange that two SEC teams are in this situation. I know the Vols have had, you know, a lower-level three-star quarterback, Will McBride, transfer out yeah. to some whatever group of five or even probably lower than group of five school. But, you know, that's better than nothing. Trying to kind of reconstruct. I guess with Ole Miss, the thought was they, Chad Kelly gives you. They only had two quarterbacks on the roster on scholarship, and then Patterson transferred out. And the other kid, Tom, it was a JUCO kid. So that's like right. right. Off, and then you coupled that with the scholarship limitations, right. they kind of got in a pinch. So the JUCO transfer, the clock was already kind of ahead of where you thought because of. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's that why they sense. had to have Corral because it was Tiamu was literally the only guy and he only had one year left. That's right. why that was such a big get for him. Is everybody that caught a pass for Tennessee last year back this year? Am I looking at that? No, yeah, yeah, that is correct. Led by. Marquez Callaway? Callaway. Dewan Jennings? Uh, Callaway, Jennings, and uh, Josh Palmer, I Josh guess. Josh Palmer are the three big guys that are back. Uh, Dom Wood Anderson, the tight end, he was a JUCO transfer last year. I think they're mm -hmm. expecting a lot more out of him with the new Jim Chaney offense. And then Ty Chandler, that guy's fast, and he picks up yards and chunks. They have to figure out how to get in the ball, uh, hand it off to him, and in the passing game. When Tennessee played well, when they beat Auburn, when they beat Kentucky, even played Georgia close, Ty Chandler was catching passes. Different quarterback situation, but what happens if Mariota doesn't really make it through most, if not all, the season healthy? That I was think a jump cut. That's a, hey, I'm with it. I'm about that jump cut, though. I'm very prepared for any and all Marcus Mariota talk. Uh, I think if, if, you don't, if you're the Tennessee Titans and it's the end of the year and, you, and you're still uncertain about Marcus Mariota, then you know he's not the guy. It's the whole, if you don't know, now you know. You know that, That's what it is with Mariota. For me, at least. Oh, I agree 100%. I was saying, I was saying Rippy's the resident Titans fan yeah. here. So. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I mean, what, it's, that's four years? This is, he's going into year yeah. five. It's the fifth year option, so he's making almost $21 million. That's good work if you can get it. Oh, yeah, right. Hey, real quick, at 30 seconds left. Yeah. Trey Smith at Tennessee. No go for the year for sure or the wait The report and see? today from Pruitt said that the doctors are doing what they can to make it possible for him to play this year. Dealing but that's with, not a guarantee. Yeah, dealing with a blood clot issue, yeah. pretty pretty serious there. Great to see you, as always. Course, Thanks, yes. Austin. Yeah, next two years at our place, Nashville. Love it. Cannot yes. wait. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. A lot of Ole Miss stuff today, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. It's been a busy day. Uh, tomorrow, the focus will be on Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead and company will be here in Starkville. And assuming everything goes according to plan, we will get kind of the same 
uh, version of what you got today with Ole Miss tomorrow with Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead and uh, the three players from Mississippi State that uh, that will be here and look forward to that. Yeah, talk to Coach Moorhead, talk to the players, and uh, first chance to talk to him since Tommy Stevens and Isaiah Zuber got onto campus. So I'm interested to hear his thoughts on that, obviously. Yeah, uh, no, no question um, about that. Hey, Borky, a couple of new college football rules um, that were kind of announced and introduced today by, uh, I guess, by Steve Shaw. Walk us through those, and uh, particularly the one that you say is a bad rule. Yeah, so they basically eliminated the blindside block. You cannot forcibly block a player when they cannot, when you when you are not coming from their field of vision. The blindside block, the crackback block, whatever you want to call it, is completely eliminated. If you're going to block a player that cannot see you, you cannot do so forcibly. Even in the rule, it says, direct quote, no player shall deliver a blindside block by attacking an opponent with forcible contact, end quote. And then, of course, if you target in the process, they will uh, implement the targeting penalty as well. But the reason why I don't like this, and I'll shut up and let you guys talk about it, is football is inherently a violent game. It's inherently a forceful game. And if you are a defender and you're trying to tackle a ball carrier and you don't see a guy that can block you legally, that is a you problem. That's your fault. So if if you have an opportunity to block a guy, put your shoulder into his chest and punish him for not keeping his head on a swivel, that shouldn't be a penalty. That's just part of the game of football. I understand player safety. And if somebody forcibly attacked the head of a guy in a blindside block, drop a targeting flag, eject him from the game. That's fine. But if you, as somebody that's trying to lay a block, put your shoulder in a guy's chest in a perfectly legal block, if he can't see you or doesn't see you, that shouldn't be a penalty. That's your fault. And football's a violent game, and sometimes violent things happen to you. I hear where you're coming from on this. I guess my initial thought would be, is there currently a more dangerous legal play in the game? Take this away and there will be another most dangerous play in the game, if not this one. But yes, you're right. I mean, all things considered, yeah, this is the most legal, most dangerous legal play in the game. Absolutely. Eventually you're going to end up changing a rule that fundamentally changes the game. If you keep going down the well, okay, that's too dangerous. Okay, well, what's the next thing that's dangerous? Eventually you're going to get to a point where... Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but I mean, go back to high school football practice. I mean, I vividly remember how excited wide receivers would get for a when, when, when you called a play that called for a crackback block. Yeah. And in the instance where a safety or a linebacker or whomever didn't call that out and caused a guy to get decleated, there are two things that I remember. One, somebody's about to run for, for not helping out a teammate. And two, that sound that everybody on the offensive side of the ball that knew that play was coming and was watching for it, the ooh. Yeah. I get why you take that play out of the game. I get it. Now, here would be my other question. How much crackback blocking was going on in college football? Not a lot, I would imagine. I don't feel like I feel like that's a very you ran that in 8th grade play. Yeah. You ran that against a bad football team 
because it's a toss sweep kind of play. Yeah, yeah it is. And and you, if you're going to do that with a wide receiver, then you leave a defender wide open to make a play in the open field, completely unblocked. I mean, I, I guess you can. Yeah, right. Uh yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I'm not. I'm with Borky on this one. I think that you know, I, I just, I feel like you know, everything when you're when you start playing football, even in, in Pee Wee League, one of the first things you're taught is you know, be aware of your surroundings, head on a swivel. Every coach tells you head on a swivel, and if if you're not paying attention and you get nailed, I, I don't know that that's necessarily you know. A bad thing. It teaches you to be aware. You've got to be aware when you're out on the football field. Realize you are going to get hurt, and if you're not going to get hurt on a crackback block, you're going to get hurt some way or the other because you're not paying attention. There's a reason yeah. you've got a helmet on and 40 pounds of pads on when you play the game of football. I, I yeah. I mean, I I hear what you're saying, and I'm not disagreeing fundamentally with it. I just think that. There's the potential for that to be a really dangerous play. It, and absolutely. And, I mean, you saw, what was it, the Baylor-Michigan State game? That would have been targeting or should have been targeting anyway where that kicker got – I mean, he almost he did a complete yeah. backflip. I mean, that was insane. I'm surprised that guy was alive after that game. But every, for me, Richard, every play in football is potentially a dangerous play. Once the ball is snapped, people are hitting each other. Every play could be a, the, the last play you ever a part of. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I I'm just I'm just one of those guys, and maybe I'm just old and crotchety, but I I just I think that there sometimes when you put the helmet on, you take the risk. Old yeah. and crotchety. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a word. Where do you stand on this, Rippy? I'd like to see how it's enforced first before I would actually like say I hate it or don't hate it's it. It's not exactly it, hot takeish of you. No, but it could potentially suck. But it could be one of those things that really doesn't get enforced because it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So I'd like to see it in action. Orky, what was the other rule change? Uh, there was a few. So overtime scoring is slightly different. So it's not going to change at all in the first four overtime periods. But after four, it's just going to be two-point conversion tries. Just back and forth, two-point conversion tries, starting with the fifth overtime. They, could, they made a rule that could potentially not affect a game for like six years. Yeah. Um, all right, so first three overtimes you can – Five. No, first two – First four. Four overtime. Beginning with the fifth overtime. Okay, just a hold on. Hold on. You just calm down, Cross. In the past, you could kick an extra point. You still can. You were you were on the exact right path until In they the interrupted first you. two overtimes, once you got to the third overtime, you were required to go for two. All right. That is still the case, so it can be extra point for two, two-point conversion for two, and then post-fourth overtime, two-point conversion plays only. Is that right? That is right. In so no change gonna, whatsoever. Thank you, Borky. Until fifth overtime. Basketball, they're going to, ever the third overtime, just shoot free throws. And whoever gets the most free throws is going to win. Yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, this is dumb. But I don't like – I don't. it's called a two-point conversion. you got to make the touchdown to get the conversion. Yeah. Yeah, but as cool as that LSU-Texas uh, A&M game was, that just became silly. But it, but like you said, was it silly when it was Ole Miss Arkansas or Kentucky it's, Arkansas? It's once or? every. It was one hundred percent. It might be once a year, but at most, it's probably going to be once every two or three years. This is yeah. what this happens. Um, I don't hate the overtime, but like at a certain point, like you get to seven overtimes, like let's just end this thing. I I I, just, I, I watched every moment of that game and enjoyed it. Oh, very, I'm, very not, much. I'm not it saying I didn't lovely. enjoy it, but 
the, I, the absurdity made it even better. You know what I would have done instead of changing this? I would have gone. I would have gone. I would have done two things. One, once you get to overtime, exclusively you have to go for two. And two, mm-hmm. overtime possessions don't start at the twenty-five; they start at the forty. That would probably make more sense than what they're doing. And I, and I think those two things would eliminate a seven overtime game. And if they didn't, we, so what? That's a, a, that's a unicorn anyway, and we all want to see a unicorn. Game. They'll replay that forever on SEC Network. Borky, could, could you be on board with from the 40 and all two-point conversions? Yeah, I could be down with that. The reason I say the from the 40, and if that's not the magic number, that's fine. I mean, maybe it's the 35, whatever. I just don't like the idea of starting the drive in field goal range. Yeah. And if you've got a really good kicker and you put it at the 35, you're talking about a 52-yard field goal, that's makeable. Um, odds are you don't have two field goal kickers in a game, though, that can make a 52-yard field goal. Yeah, and if you're on the 40, I'm going a 57-yard field goal. Yeah. So now, now for sure. you, you got to get after it. Yeah, unless you've got Sebastian Janikowski lined up out there back yeah. in the day. That would honestly be more fun. There's so many terrible kickers in college football just to have them do, like, a kickoff. Yeah. Like keep well, backing up, ooh, keep backing up kind the of a shootout. Yeah. Well, S- start them at the ten, make it chippy, make it chippy, and then back it up five yards. Or would you start them at the skills? I challenge. think I might back them up ten yards until you got to the forty, like thirty. Well, actually, I don't know. Probably five at a time. Let's probably start them at the twenty yard line, so that it's a thirty yard field goal, and then back it up five yards a pop. Yeah. I actually don't hate that. No, I know. I've thought about it a lot. And I would a weird twist on it would be you can kick it however you want it. Like, if you want to punt it, fine. Because you'd end up going pretty far back. What if What if you went three overtime periods as the rules exist now, and then after the third overtime period, you went to a kickoff? Yeah. Now, now, you're, now you're a soccer. You're doing penalty kicks there at the end. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the name of the game is actually football. Yeah. Kicking was not the worst idea. There's I'm, no overtime in soccer. They there is extra time. Zero, zero. No, nah, no. In, in playoff games, are. You like that idea, Borky? I could live with it. I don't, I, I don't hate it. We'll wrap up day two of Media Days with. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.